0: Thanks for taking some time to listen to this message on the Elevate Church podcast. We believe that God will speak to you wherever you are. Now, let's prepare our hearts and hear what God has for us today. We're in a series called Relationship Reset, and we've been talking about resetting the relationships in our lives that have been broken or hurting or stressed or strained because of the kind of year that we've had. Like in our marriages and in our relationships, we've spent more time together in the last year than we ever have before, perhaps working from home or being quarantined, and it's put a lot of pressure and strain on our relationships. In fact, the first two weeks of this uh, series, our foundational text, is from 1 Corinthians 13, which is the love chapter of the Bible. It's the Mount Everest of love. You can't talk about love without talking about 1 Corinthians 13, but here's what verse 7 says. It says, love never stops being what? Read that out loud. Amen. And it never stops. Never stops. And it never gives up. That's what we're going to focus in on today. The fact that love never gives up. I read that and I'm like, why do you think God put that in the Bible? That love never gives up. Because he knew you'd want to. He knew at some point in the relationship that things would get tough, that things would get strained, that you would want to give up, that you'd want to throw in the towel, that you would want to surrender, right? Raise the white flag in the the relationship. And so he said, love never gives up. He says it because marriage is tough, right? It's hard enough as it is because it's taking two sinners and putting them in the same household under the same roof and saying, good luck, you know, work this out. Which is why, by the way, in America, first-time marriages, 43% of them end in divorce. Did you know that? 43% because it's hard. And because sometimes we want to give up. And it's not like it's better the second time around because it only gets worse. Second-time marriages end in divorce 63% of the time. And the third time right? It's not third time's a charm, you know, we're going to get this right. It's 73% of third time marriages end in divorce. We've all been touched by it. We've all been there. We've known people or we ourselves have been, been separated or divorced. And so I want to zero in on today. This part of 1 Corinthians 13, 7 that says love never gives up. How, how many of you in this room, just by a show of hands, you're married. Would you just Kind of hold it up high. Yeah, yeah, you're married. Or online, let us know. You know, put it in the chat that you're, you're married. I want to talk today about, about marriage. If you're single, raise your hand and hold it up high. Single. Now look around. That's what you're working with right there, just so you know. Maybe meet up after. I don't know. Next week, single people, is for you. We're going to talk about you. We're going to talk about single and dating and purity and what that is like. But today, I want to talk to mainly the married people. However, this will be for everyone. Because you need to realize that when you see a marriage fall apart, when you see it uh, fail, it's kind of like an iceberg. All you're seeing is the tip of it. You're not realizing that there is a whole story that's happening underneath that's complicated, that has so many layers to it. In fact, when you see a marriage fail, it's because there were fault lines that ran deep. Long before the marriage ever started, long before you said, I do, long before you even said hello to one another, because of who you are, because of your past experiences, because of all that you carried into the relationship with you, you just need to know there's so much going on. And when you get to that place where you finally say, hey, I want to do this right. You know, I want to I be in a relationship that never gives up. I want to be in a marriage that never gives up. You know, I, want the, I, want, I don't want to be that guy anymore. I don't want to be that girl anymore. You know, I want the, I want the, the house with the picket fence and the puppies and the, and the minivan. Don't be knocking the minivan, by the way. Like I had a minivan. I have four little boys, and minivans are amazing when on long trips with boys. Because they got to go to the bathroom, you pull over to the side of the road, slide open the door, there you go. But at some point in your life, you get to that place where you're like, all right, I don't want to live this way anymore. I want to never give up. I want to never give up. But how many of you know the past has a pesky way of showing up in the present? Because you are who you are based on your experiences, based on what you carried into the relationship. And so you need to understand that there are consequences to the decisions that we have made. So single people, like, listen up. Like, the decisions you make today will influence and impact your life tomorrow. And that's not to say that God can't redeem you. Because he can But I think he would much rather be using you and blessing you than to constantly be dealing with the sin issues that are in your life. Are you with me? Like, that's next week. You're going to talk a lot about that next week because prevention is better than the cure. In fact, I would say this. It's easier to build the boy than it is to change the man. And so if you start this early on in life, start honoring God with your relationships early on, it's going to make all the difference in the world. But what about after you said, I do? For all the married people in the room. What about life after the altar? That's what I want to talk about. Like the, when you stood b- before each other and before God and said, I do. I want to talk about saying I do to one another and never giving up with an eye towards never getting to the place where you would ever say I don't. Like saying I do and meaning it and fighting for it and never saying I don't. Exodus 17, if you want to make your way there, uh, while you are, let me give you a few disclaimers about this message. I have approximately 30 minutes or so to try to preach on a very complicated subject that has layer upon layer upon layer. When I talk about marriage and divorce and separation, you need to know that it's, it's complicated to say the least. And so I'm going to give you broad stroke principles I'm gonna paint with a, a broom, but you're gonna want a fine fine brushstroke. You're gonna say, Colby, well, what about in this situation, or what about in their circumstance, or, or or what about this? And just hear me. Give me some grace. I do not have time to cover every nuance, to cover cover every aspect, you know, of such a complicated, deep uh, kind of topic. And I also want to acknowledge that this will be sensitive. It's gonna be delicate. Uh, some of this will be um, maybe a little difficult to kind of walk through, but I'm asking that you would not clam up, that you would not shut down, that you would just be open to hearing what God wants to say to you, how he wants to speak to your heart, and know that none of this is meant to bring condemnation. Like, that's what the enemy wants to do. You know that? That, that the enemy brings condemnation, meaning he wants you to feel like you can never change that nothing in your life will ever get better, that you are just stuck, but God's spirit brings conviction. He wants to, to change us. He wants to challenge us, and it seems like we only will kind of you know, live up to that change when the pain of staying the same is greater than the pain of change, and we make the necessary changes in our lives, and so this is not to bring uh, condemnation to anyone, so receive this with an open heart and open mind. Uh, I know some of you might say, well, if you knew my husband, you wouldn't preach this way. Or if you knew my wife, you know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't talk like this. And that might be true on a personal level, but the issue right now is you. God has you here. God has you here. So no matter what has happened, no matter how much you want to point the finger, the issue is you. And I believe that God wants to speak to you. And I also want to throw this disclaimer out there. As I talk about fighting. You know, for your marriage and and uh, never giving up. Here's what I want you to know: If you are in an abusive relationship, I'm not saying you have to stay. If you're in a physically abusive relationship, you need to you need to get help. You need to call nine one one. We have a prayer team that will have will be up here at the end of, of our time together. You need to seek someone out, seek me out. We will help you get the help that you need if you are in that kind of situation. Are you with me? And, and I'll say this: if Um, we have some guys in this church that are just barely saved. They haven't figured out the whole turn the other cheek thing just yet. If you need some help. And if you're a guy, by the way, and you think it's okay to hit someone who is weaker than you because it shows your dominance and it shows your strength and it makes you feel powerful, you are not a man, you are a boy. You're a spoiled boy. And, and, listen, and you need help too. You need help. You need to get into some counseling. So we're, we're here for you. Here's the last disclaimer. Hopefully uh, you're at Exodus 17. And that is when we talk about never giving up and, and fighting for our marriage, the reality is I, I know many people in this room have given up. You've been divorced, you've been separated and I want you to understand I'm not preaching to your past, I'm preaching to your future. I just happen to believe that you know where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. Amen? That past sin in Christ is forgiven sin. And so this is not meant to to bring up and dig up old hurts in your life, but to point you to something better. To point you to the way that God wants us to live and how he wants us to live in our relationships. No one in this room is broken beyond measure. No one in this room is a hopeless case, right? That God can pick up the broken pieces of your life and create something beautiful out of it. Amen? Amen. All right, here we go. Exodus 17, are you there? Because I gave you lots of time. Here we go. Um, Let me give you some context as to what's happening. This is when Moses uh, has just delivered, well, God delivered through Moses, the nation of Israel out of Egypt. Like, this is fresh. They're fresh out of Egypt. They're fresh, uh, you know, freshly rescued from a, a, a wicked, evil Pharaoh. They crossed over the Red Sea. They saw God move in amazing ways in that. And this is pre-Ten Commandments. This is pre-wandering in the desert for 40 years. So they're just new. you got to think of this. A bunch of people just rescued that aren't warriors, that have not been battle-trained or battle-tested. They don't even have weapons, perhaps. They are moving into the wilderness, and immediately an enemy shows up and wants to oppose them. is coming at them. It's known as the Amalekite army. And let's read it. These guys were warriors, by the way. These guys were known to be trained as warriors. And this is what it says. While the people of Israel were still at Rephidim, the warriors of Amalek attacked them. Moses commanded Joshua, choose some men to go out and fight the army of Amalek for us. Tomorrow I'm going to stand at the top of the hill holding the staff of God. The New King James says the rod of God. I like that. The rod of God. So Joshua did what Moses had commanded. God used Joshua because he was obedient. And for some of you, the success that you're looking for and the thing that you're looking to do in your life, God will will honor because it's directly tied to your level of obedience, is what he says. Joshua did it. He did as Moses had asked him to do, and he fought the army of Amalek. Meanwhile, Moses, Aaron, and Hur climbed up to the top of a nearby hill. As long as Moses held up the staff in his hands, the Israelites had the advantage So while it was up, while he was worshiping, while hands were raised, they had the advantage. But whenever he dropped his hands and he got tired, he got fatigued, the Amalekites gained the advantage. Moses' arms soon became so tired he could no longer hold them up. So Aaron and Hur found a stone for him to sit on and they stood on each side of Moses holding up his hands so his hands remained steady. I love that. That's what I'm praying for you, that your hands would remain steady until sunset. And as a result, Joshua overwhelmed the army of Amalek in battle. As a result, they had victory. Now, um, in this passage, we see the beginning of something new, brand new. This new nation that God is creating, this new group of people, you know, it's going to be his chosen people, his set-apart people, this, this new thing. But so it is, whenever God starts something new, the enemy comes to oppose it. And just as when, when a great nation is born and something new is, is birthed that way and something comes to oppose it, so it is true in your relationships. Then when God starts something new, immediately an enemy is going to rise up. Now, it's not going to be an Amalekite army like it was for the nation of Israel, but it will be an enemy that wants to oppose your forward motion, that wants to oppose the, the progress that you will have in your relationships. In fact, we see this from the beginning of God's Word. With Adam and Eve in the garden, if you remember the story, Adam was all alone, naming stuff, and God said, you need a helper. And so they're trying to find a helper suitable for him, and they couldn't find one, and so he caused Adam to fall asleep, took one of his ribs and formed Eve, brought Eve before uh, Adam. Adam's first words were recorded in the Bible. After seeing Eve, this is what Adam said. He said, dang, girl. (laughs) in the new Colby translation. (laughs) But he said, this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. In other words, saying, hey, where I'm weak, she's going to be strong. And where I'm strong, she's going to be weak. She is going to be a helpmate for me. And in the Bible, we see God officiating the very first wedding, giving us a framework for what a marriage looks like, for what a lasting relationship is supposed to look like. Genesis 2, 24, this is what? It says, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This new thing happens. This new thing is formed. Things that were two are now one, which, which if this holds true, that whenever God starts something new, the enemy opposes it, let's see what happens. It says, now the man and his wife were both naked but felt no shame. I love that naked and happy <laughs> naked and no shame right in this this moment naked and no shame but then check this out verse uh, chapter 3 verse 1 the serpent there he is he shows up god does this this new thing begins something new and right away the enemy comes god brings two into one why does the serpent show up so he can un what God has made one? In fact, the serpent shows up to bring shame and to bring guilt because we see later on that after you know they were tempted with the fruit and they took the fruit and ate the fruit, then they, their eyes were opened and they realized their nakedness. And so they had shame and they had, had guilt. By the way, that's what the enemy wants to do to your life. He wants you to have shame. He wants you to experience guilt in your life because he knows that shame causes division. And if he can have you feel shame and guilt, then he knows it's going to bring friction to your relationships. He knows it's going to cause division in your relationships and in your marriage. Because again, whenever God starts something new, the enemy opposes it. So let's talk about you. So now here you are, the married people in the room. You've showed up to the altar. It's your wedding day. You've just said, I do. And all of a sudden, something new has started. You you did the whole wedding thing. You went to the reception. You you ate the cake or you smashed the cake in each other's face, whatever it was. You had the whole daddy-daughter dance. and, And then you did the throwing of the bouquet. And that got weird because two of your friends took it way too seriously and started fighting and ripping hair out. But something new had begun. And then wait for it, wait for it. Here comes the enemy. You've all felt it, and maybe it took a week, maybe it took a year, maybe it's taken in two years, but an enemy comes up, which is why just as God is starting this new thing, this new nation, the devil shows up in the form of an Amalekite army trying to destroy what it is that God wants to build, and what's their response, by the way? Their response is to fight. Let's fight against it. Let's fight against this army that wants to keep us from from progressing, this army that wants to keep us from the promised land. So Moses said, hey, take some men, Joshua. Go down to the the valley. Go down to the battle and draw your swords and get to work. And I think God is saying the same thing to us in our relationships, that it's going to take some fight, that you are under attack, that he wants to do this new thing in and through your, your life together because the enemy knows the power and the potential of a relationship that is, is God-honoring. He knows the potential of the, the, the legacy that can come out of the, the blessings of generation after generation after generation from a couple who would stand together and say, we are honoring God with our relationship. And so he wants to disrupt what God wants to build. And I got news for you. It doesn't have to be that way. Hey, maybe you come from a background of, well, this is just the way it is, and and we've had divorce in our family, or this after this. It does not have to be that way. Maybe you come from a background of, of, you know, just sleeping with man after man after man or, or woman after, after woman and, you know, just going through those motions. It does not have to be that way. Or maybe you come from a background of, of alcoholism and this is, you know, this is just how my family was. Can I tell you, it does not have to be that way because God can start a new thing in your life. And I just happen to believe, right, that Jesus has the last word, the cross of Christ has victory in your life and something new can start today in your heart and in your mind if you will just let it. But the enemy wants to rise up and he wants to oppose it. So so Moses said, hey, you need to go and fight. Look at your neighbor right now and say, let's fight. Come on, tell him, let's fight. Let's fight. I think it's time to fight. Not really, don't fight. And I know some of you that are married perhaps you're saying, Colby, that's the problem. We always fight. <laughs> Maybe you're saying, we don't need any help fighting you know, in our marriage. You know, That's why we're here. This relationship series is because we always fight. I'm not talking about fighting in your marriage. I'm talking about fighting for it. For your marriage. And sometimes that means fighting against things. And sometimes that means fighting against yourself because you're not always right either. And so we got to fight for it. And I want to give you four things. I want you to write these down that we are to fight against But here is a word of warning. They might not be the large looming things that you think they are. They might not be the Amalekite army, these warriors that are out to to get you, to stop your forward progress together. They just might be smaller than you think. And the reason I say that is because I think this is where marriages tend to fall apart, because we're not fighting against the small things. In fact, we're letting the small things grow and become large things. That's what uh, the Song of Solomon says in chapter 2, verse 15. It says, catch all the foxes, the little foxes, before they ruin the vineyard of love. This is uh, about a couple that is dating. Uh, We see it in the Song of Solomon or the Song of Songs, whatever translation you are, are using. It's about their life together and courting one another and getting married and their honeymoon. But this is talking about protecting and fighting for each other it says, catch the foxes, catch the little foxes before they ruin everything. You know, not far from here, we have thousands and thousands of acres of vineyards. You know, and I read this verse thinking about, you know, how these foxes would come in and ruin an entire vineyard. These little baby foxes would come and gnaw on the buds of the, the flowering grapes so that, you know, the whole vineyard would be, would be ruined and damaged and the harvest would not come. And that's what the enemy wants to do in your life. He just wants to gnaw on those little things in your life that will keep you from producing fruit in your relationship that will keep you from ever having the harvest that God wants you to have. So we gotta fight the little foxes. We gotta catch the little foxes. In fact, I'm calling this message Fighting Foxes if you wanna write a title down. And again, I would encourage you to take some notes along the way because we gotta catch these little foxes. We gotta deal with them while they're small so that they don't become big. And I know some of you might be here saying, well, Colby, you know what? Um, Like This isn't really happening in our marriage. In fact, I only see trace amounts of fox activity. And I don't see the evidence of foxes in our life, maybe just a little bit, but can I tell you something? You have to learn to savagely deal with that now because small foxes grow up to be big foxes, right? They grow up to be big, hairy foxes with teeth, and want to destroy everything. Here's the first thing we got to fight against. Write it down. Fight infidelity. And I know that seems like a big fox, and it is. But it doesn't start that way. I'm talking about just being unfaithful. I'm talking about eventually it gets to the point of cheating or, or adultery. But turning your back on your marriage vow... Where you stood before God and others and said, you know what, I'm gonna love you know her only for for her only, or to love him only, forsaking all others. Do you remember that? Forsaking all others. Which in fact studies would tell us that one out of four guys and one out of six women have had sex with someone they're not married to. They violated that vow. To forsake all others. Uh, And in that same study, it said 60% of men and 34% of women say that kissing someone they are not married to is not cheating. Kissing them. So when asked, hey, would you cheat on your wife? 60% of guys would say, no, but I make out with someone. That's what it's saying. Just to be clear, you are officially being unfaithful. That's not forsaking all others. When you, when you choose not to forsake all others, you are cracking the door for the little foxes to come in. What are you cracking the door of your life with? What about the things that you look at? What about some, some nasty TikTok videos? hmm What are you letting into your mind? What about the things that you watch? Is that forsaking all others? Really? Like, like what about you know, the movies with the nasty scenes in them and you fantasize about, about this or that? That's not forsaking all others. What about a flirtatious relationship? Flirting is, is being unfaithful. That's what he's saying. you gotta, you got to learn to forsake all others. Well, no, Kobe's not that big of a deal. You know, we're just DMing each other on Facebook or, or connecting. You know, he's just an old, old, you know, fling, 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 fling thing we used to have. <laughs> fling fling, that we used to have. Or it's just a guy at the office call. He doesn't mean anything, but when I walk by him, you know, every day and go to the the copier, you know, he he goes like, "Mm mm-hmm, girl. Want some fries with that shake? You know, kind of thing. Right? Flirting is not being faithful. It's not forsaking all others. It's not saying to love him only or to love her only only. And then we question, how, how does it get to that place where we, we would cheat or we would commit adultery? Here's how. We ignored the baby foxes and the baby foxes grew up. We cracked the door. We, we didn't forsake all others. So what do we do about it? Write this down. The best defense is a really good offense. Come on, you gotta fight fire with fire. You have to fight infidelity with Fidelity. In fact, the the best way not to have sex with someone that you're not supposed to is to have a lot of sex with the one you are supposed to. Come on, guys. Man, that was your opportunity to finally respond in church. I teed that up for you. Right? Come, there you go. The best defense is a really good offense. This is what Proverbs 5.15 tells us, that we are to drink water from your own well. Share your love only with your wife. Why spill the water of your springs in the streets, having sex with just anyone? You should reserve it for yourselves. Amen. Another uh, verse says the marriage bed should not be defiled. Never share it with strangers. Let, let your wife be a fountain of blessing for you. In other words, like when you get thirsty, that's where you go. To your wife. Let her be the fountain of blessing for you. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. She is a loving deer, a graceful doe. Let her breast satisfy you always. Leave that right there. May you always be captivated by her love. What's he saying? He's saying, don't go shopping in the grocery store on an empty stomach. You'll end up making decisions that you know you shouldn't make. Have you ever been caught out in the wilderness or camping without water? Like, I'm, I'm terrified to drink out of a nasty creek. And let me translate that for all of you that think "crick" is a word. That's not a word. You did not learn that when two E's go walk in, what's that thing? I don't even know. It's an E, e, e sound. But I'm terrified to do that. But this summer, my boys and I, we went camping in the Adirondacks. And we hiked in like six miles. And and then we got, you know, like run out of camp by a bear. That's a story for another time. But we hiked up this mountain, came back down, and our water filtration system was not working well. And so I stuck my head in the stream, and I just started gulping away. I did not care if it was polluted. I didn't care if it was nasty. It was either that or die of the dehydration. And so I wasn't about to do that. And so I'm drinking out of the stream, and I thought about that, that when you are thirsty... Even the most polluted streams will look appealing. And so it is with your relationships and in your marriage. When you are thirsty. When, when you are not working hard to keep the home fires burning. And keeping the, the gift of sex that God has given us. You know, that, that romance burning bright. You will, you will tend to, to look other places. You will tend to look for other sources of water. Now that is never an excuse. Never for adultery. Never an excuse for cheating. Guys, you will not die from not having sex, all right? Just throw that out there. It's not an excuse. But the best defense is a really good offense. Making sure you do everything you can. Drink from your own well. Another way we fight them, write this down, is to routinely maintenance our boundaries and our borders. Which means you got to do a perimeter check. And you gotta check for holes in the fence to where foxes would would come in because every single person in this room, there's not one of us who is not ripe for uh, an adulterous relationship, an adultery. Now you might push back and say, I would never do that, I could never do that. Yes, you could, yes, you would. Given the right circumstance, given the right place, like there's not one of us, even me on this platform, that there is no temptation, right? There's no anointing over someone's life that is greater than the the temptation that lives inside of every single human heart. You don't even have to look further than just a, a, a few weeks ago to see just another giant of the faith, another man who I looked up to as far as his apologetics and living a duplicitous lifestyle because every single one of us could fail. You are a fool to think you can handle temptation. So you need to make sure you're routinely checking your perimeter. There's no holes to allow the the enemy to come in. you got to build your life in such a way that makes it really hard for something stupid to happen. Are you with me? How many of you know stupid happens fast? It can happen real fast. And so make sure you have good borders and boundaries. It's fighting for a legacy. It's fighting for your your children and your, your grandchildren. You're fighting because they are, are worth it. You gotta fight for it. the enemy's gunning for you. Here's the second thing we gotta fight against. Write this down: the drift. We gotta fight against drift. Because in a relationship, you know, there's always this, this jump start to it where things are exciting early on. Things are hot, things are heavy. It's like the spark, it's like, you know, all this stuff that's happening. And, and, but what the spark of fire begins in a relationship, it's maintenance, it's diligence that maintains that fire. In other words, you have to, to date your mate. Now I'll say it this way, pursue the relationship while you're in the relationship. That's how you fight for it. You gotta pursue one another because drift happens. Have you ever been to the, the beach you know, and did the whole body surfing thing? You know, You spend 10, 20 minutes out in the ocean and you look up and you don't recognize anything? You don't recognize the shoreline you don't see anybody you know familiar it's because the current right the 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 pulled you down the the ocean and so it is in a marriage when you are not both furiously swimming together against the current to stay together you got to fight the drift because it happens drift happens put that on a t-shirt drift happens it happens and this does not happen on its own you, you don't fight it, you know, naturally. It's something you have to do intentionally, which is funny because early on in the relationship, you couldn't get enough of each other. You remember that? You remember when you first started dating your husband or your, your wife and how you, you were so excited to be around each other all the time? I remember walking Kristen back to her dorm room at Asbury College, um we'd go out on a date and then we'd make sure she got back there before curfew and we'd stand there until basically it was like if curfew was at 11 we'd stand there until ten fifty nine so she could go in because we wanted to be together and then she'd card in and go up to her room and I'd go back to my dorm room and I'd pick up the phone and I'd call her and be like hey what are you doing <laughs> she said what I was doing three minutes ago And then I just talked to her for another, you know, few hours, even getting ready for bed, you know, brushing my teeth. And we had sinks in our dorm rooms. You know, I don't know why they put sinks in guys dorms or guys dorm rooms. Maybe that's the only thing we could like keep clean at the time. Um, but the sink just works for everything. You can do everything in a sink. There's one thing you can't do in a sink, but that's another, sorry. (laughs) Isn't it crazy how we go from that can't get enough of each other, talking on the phone. No, you hang up. No, you hang up. You know, all that kind of stuff to sitting across the table in icy silence, staring at our phones because drift happens. And if we don't fight against the drift, if we don't fight to swim together, you have to date your mate, date your mate. It happens. Here's the the next thing we got to fight against. And that is a yours and mine marriage. Fight against this idea of a his and hers. There's this movement in marriages today where it's like we're married, but I'm my own person. Um, we're married, but I'm still an individual. We're, we're married, but, you know, my career is important and I'm going to focus on that. Or we're married, but you have your friends and I have my friends. We're married, but, you know, you, we, we don't have each other's passwords on Facebook or, or Instagram or anything. We just keep all that separate. We're married, but we have separate checking accounts. We're married, you know, but it's a yours and mine kind of marriage. Can I tell you something? That was never God's intention, It wasn't to to make you an individual. It was to create something beautiful out of you coming together where the two become one. It's not this separate kind of individuality or independence. It's two becoming one. And here's what Paul says to husbands in Ephesians 5, 28. He says, Husbands, this is how you ought to love your wife. Love your wife as your own bodies because he who loves his wife he shows love to himself. Why? Because the two became one. If I, I love myself, I'm loving my wife because the two became one. We are one together. In fact, here's some great advice uh, for some of you guys. This will help you. Just remember what's mine is hers, and what's hers is hers. Absolutely. <laughs> and I'm not saying that you have to um, look alike And dress alike, you know how that happens older? You know, you get in married couples, you know, you're like, they just look alike. It looks like they've been married for years. I I don't know which one the dude is. Like, that's creepy. That's weird. I'm not talking about that, right? I'm just saying we need to, write this down, prefer the we over the me. We need to think about each other. We need to think about being together. It's it's the two that became one in a marriage. There is no separate scorecard, and it's not like you did this and I did this and and you did this and here's where where I scored point points. Can I tell you something? If one person wins in a marriage, you both lose because you could win the battle, but you could forfeit the relationship. And so you got to stay away from this this fox that wants to creep in and and divide and say, well, this is mine. This is, this is yours. Prefer the we over the me. Here's the last thing I'm gonna have the band come out and we'll shut this down. And that's, we got to fight against the Fox of fatigue, fatigue. It's just getting tired. Hey, Hey, anybody, anybody in this last year, just get tired. I've talked to so many counselors. We have a lot of counselors that come to this church and they are just booked because tensions are high, because people just got tired. People got tired of the the whole close quarter thing, they got tired of, of each other. And it is a fox. It doesn't seem like a big deal, but it's a fox that works its way into the vineyard of your relationship or marriage and begins to destroy it from the inside out. We got to fight against fatigue. Thinking about the story in Exodus where Joshua went down to fight, got a sword out, got his men. He's like, we're going to go fight this thing. We're going to fight the enemy. We're going to do all that we can. And Moses says, all right, you go do that. I'm going to go up on this hill and chill. And Joshua's probably thinking, you just want to get up there, away from the battle, so you can watch us from a distance get, you know, demolished by these amazing warriors, but that's not it at all. In fact, what was happening on the hill was just as important as what was happening in the valley. Because the Bible tells us that Moses stood there and raised the rod of God, and that every time that the rod would stay up and he would have that thing up high, then the They were winning. Every time he was worshiping God and and holding it up, they would have victory against the army, victory against the enemy that wanted to stop their forward progress. So they're standing there, arms up, but when he started to get tired, and the arms started coming down, and the worship dropped off, and I stopped going to church, and I stopped getting into a small group, and I stopped praying to God, and I stopped reading God's word. I just got tired. And that's when we started losing the battle. And I think that's what happens in our marriage. You get tired. You just get tired. And so Moses represents, with a staff in hand, just worshiping God. Because worship is one of the greatest weapons that you have in fighting for your marriage. And, And as long as he was worshiping, God they were winning but when it fell and Joshua down below represents doing all that he can to fight. Getting his sword out and fighting against the enemy and so you fight the fatigue by by fighting to keep your hands up your hands steady in worship of God and get your swords out and do everything that you can in the natural to defeat the enemy that wants to divide your marriage to divide your relationship. So here's, here's the picture. Everybody stand up with me. In fact, Krista, come on up here. She loves it when I do this to her. If you're married right here and your spouse is with you, would you just grab their hand? Just grab their hand next to you. Here's the picture. It's the couple standing on the hill, hands up, worshiping God, And in one hand, raising the rod of God and worshiping God with all that they have. And in the other hand, the sword doing all they can to fight. That's the picture that I want to give you. Would you right now just bow your head, close your eyes, grab that person's hand next to you. God, I just pray over every marriage in this room. Every marriage that's watching online, God, we just commit them right now to you that we would worship you. God, that we would not grow tired. We would not grow tired of doing good. We would not grow grow tired or weary, God. But we know that in due time, that as we worship you and as our hands are raised high, that this battle, ultimately, the fight that we are in belongs to you. And in this season, God, of fatigue, we're praying that you would bless every marriage. We're praying that that you would give strength to every marriage, that you would give endurance to our marriage, God, that you would do everything you do in the supernatural and give us power to do everything we can in the natural. God, we're praying that we would fight. We would fight like crazy, that we would never give up, that we would stand firm and stand strong. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. Come on, let's worship him one more time. Thanks for checking out this week's message on the Elevate Church podcast, and we hope you really enjoyed it. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations, welcome to the family. We would love to know about it, so please let us know by going to elevatechurch.com slash yes. There'll be some practical resources that will help you as you start this journey. If you want to support the mission and vision of Elevate Church to help people far from God reach their full potential in Christ, go to elevatechurch.com slash give. We'll see you soon. Have a great week.